I've got uh, some handouts, so if uh, anyone needs a copy, Harold's got some in the back. Uh, I've got a few up here, and then if we start to run short, uh, we'll get some extra copies made. So does anyone, everybody have a copy? Anybody? All right, so this is uh, lesson number six in our, uh, our study, Fundamentals of the Faith. Uh, of course, last week we talked about the, the unique identity of the church. Um, then we talked about some of our, our uh, identifying marks. And, of course, again, everything that you know, we do, uh, our only authority, again, is what? The Bible, right? You know, we don't rely on, on any kind of man-made creeds or agreements or, or councils or anything of that nature. You know, everything that we, we pattern our, our worship and our belief system around is, you know, what we find in the, in the Bible, what, what Jesus' teaching is for us. So uh, this morning we're going to kind of dive in a little bit deeper and look at the organization of the church. Um, two weeks ago, this was one of the uh, small topics that I had uh, in that lesson, but we talked about there's basically two senses when we talk about church, uh, two senses of the church. And, you know, one of those being that church is the individual organs or group of people, the group of believers in one specific location, but then we also look at it in a universal sense. Um, and kind of looking at, you know, when Jesus started talking about the whole concept of church um, in Matthew 16, and of course, again, this is a reoccurring theme. This verse, I think, you know, is going to be key to everything that we're talking about. But if you remember, I think in all six lessons so far, we've discussed this one one verse, Matthew 16:18. You know, after Peter's confession, you know, Jesus mentioning that he would build his church upon that confession. Uh, so in that regard, you know, we're looking at a universal sense, all the, the entire body of believers, right, all across time. First um, Corinthians 7:17. 7, this is what I've commanded in all churches. So again, that's a universal sense of church. Uh, but then we dive in a little bit deeper. Um, if you're looking at the outline, Roman numeral one, uh, uh, item B, in a local sense. So in Acts chapter 13, in the local church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. First uh, Corinthians, again, one, two, to God's church at Corinth. And this is really where we're going to focus in today, is looking at the local uh, organization, the makeup of each individual body. Um, of course, again, the first thing we have to remember and keep at the forefront of our mind always is who's head of the church? Christ. Christ. And again, it sounds elementary, but this is something we have to remember and we have to keep at the forefront of our focus at all times is Christ is head. He is authority. You know, whatever he said, whatever he established is what we must follow. Um, again, that's not up for discussion. That's not up for debate. Um, and that's something, again, as, you know, in America, we live in a democracy, right? And we like to, again, we have different uh, rights. We have our First Amendment right, you know, right to free speech. Uh, when we disagree on something, we want to be able to express our opinions and, you know, live or, or conduct ourselves in the way we want. 
that's one of the freedoms of democracy. However, that's not the case in, you know, when we're following Jesus, right? I mean, because if you look at the religious world today, that whole thought, you know, of I want to do what I want, again, you know, what, what man's desires are, I think has led to a lot of, the, again, the division, a lot of confusion, a lot of people being led astray. So, again, we got to get back down to if it's not what Jesus said or what he authorized, then, you know, we're going to be in error. So I think that, again, is one of the things we have to keep at the forefront of our mind always. And uh, I think the uh, sec- next section here, uh, Christ is King, you know, Revelation 17, 14. He is Lord of Lords. He, so he has all authority over everything we do everything we believe in and how we conduct ourselves in worship. Um, again, there's no earthly head. And when we're talking about the individual local church and the body as a whole, you know, Christ is head. There is no earthly headquarters. Um, you know, we don't have uh, um, any kind of organized uh, structure in that regard. Um, you know, there's a lot of organizations throughout the world that, you know, have this major hierarchy, and, you know, it was discussed, I think, even maybe last week about how, um, you know, it's, in a sense, at times, some organizations turn into a business. You know, you can see that right now with, with some of the, uh, the organizations that we have uh, throughout the world, religious organizations. Um, you know, we don't have a, a pope, we don't have a, an archdeacon, uh, we don't have a cardinal president, uh, any kinds of, of th- those things we don't have, you know, any council or, or synod. Um, you know, w- when we look at how we conduct ourselves, you know, again, the Bible is very clear. And for this local church, who has authority over what we decide? Again, high level, ultimately it's Jesus. When we get back down to the local level, who who guides and makes the decisions? Our elders, right? And again, we'll, we're going to dive into that uh, um, as our next topic. But again, that's, you know, how the Bible and how Jesus ultimately uh, wanted each individual church to conduct themselves. Because when you think about it, I mean, how good are we going to be in making a decision or guiding somebody in another state, in another town, really in another side of town? We don't have, or again, thinking even farther, again, if you look at the, these, these global hierarchies, even in another country, you know, if you, unless you're planted here and know what everybody's, you know, every person that's within this body, what's going on in their lives, um, you know, what's going on within the community, you can't make right decisions, correct? You know, you have to be planted in the place where, um, you know, where you're making that influence. Um, you know, I've mentioned this a couple times, but, uh, you know, got the opportunity to go overseas into Ukraine for uh, uh, interacting with some churches there. Uh, again, was, uh, had the opportunity in the early 2000s uh, where we established some churches of where I was, I was going to church at at the time, uh, right after the fall of the Soviet Union in the early 90s. You know, so they were able to bring in missionaries, get folks planted. Uh, and then, you know, I enjoyed the fruits of seeing, 
you know, a, a few years of, of that growth. But again, even though the elders where I was attending helped facilitate getting the, uh, you know, the aid there, getting teachers over there, getting evangelists over there, they did not make decisions, you know, because that was one of the very first things that occurred is when a body of believers was established, you know, they, again, patterned their decisions after what we see in the New Testament and appointed themselves elders. They made those. I think, you know, it's vitally important for us to realize. Uh, any questions, comments so far? I know I'm just I'm blazing through right now. Any thoughts anybody has at the moment? All right, well, let's dive into um, item three. Uh, each local church or congregation is to be overseen by elders. Um, let's die, let's uh, hold a two uh, passages. So turn to Acts chapter 14, verse 23, and then also we'll look at uh, Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 5. And we'll be hopping right around these uh, quite frequently, so we want to... Uh, go ahead and mark those. Uh. So Acts 14:23. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them t- to the Lord in whom they had believed. And flipping over to Titus 1:5, uh, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left done, and as as I directed you, to appoint elders in every. So again, this is. Uh, you know the the acts that Luke mentioned this in Acts, where we see the establishment of, of uh, you know bodies of believers uh, as the church is in its infancy. But then also uh, Paul's writing uh, here to Titus, you know, mentioning that that's one of the key components. Whenever they went into an area and evangelized, you know, one of the first things that had to occur was uh, the establishment and uh, you know appointment of elders for each one of those local churches. What would, why do you guys think that would be one of the, the first things that the apostles focused on whenever they, you're stealing a little bit of my thunder because we're going we're gonna to look into that quite, uh, quite a bit. Um, while we're in Titus, let's, let's go ahead and look at that. So that's uh, element B here under numeral three. So let's just read the, the rest of that passage. Uh, Titus 1 verses 5 through 9. So again, again it says, uh, I, as I directed you to appoint elders in every town, it says, someone who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of wildness or rebellion. For an overseer, as God's manager, must be blameless, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, Loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-control. Holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to encourage with sound teaching and to rebuke those who contradict it. So again, that's, that's one of the key uh, elements you know, that for, a, for a healthy church uh, to, to flourish and thrive is you know, you've got to have establishment of elders, folks that can, again, to shepherd the flock. And, you know, when we talked about the body a few weeks ago, you know, we talked, we described the church as being a, a flock. And, you know, we had that description of, you know, anybody who's 
interacted with any kind of livestock understands that get themselves in a lot of trouble. Uh, they can stray from where they need to be, and we are exactly like that. We look at ourselves, at humans, and in God's eyes, you know, in my mind, at least, that's a direct description of us. To the, uh, as I think, again, that's why, you know, we see such a, a strong emphasis on uh, having men who are able to help guide us, to help teach us, oversee us when we do stray. You know, they're able to correct, um, you know, again, lovingly. Um, also able to think through, you know, where, where are we? organization as a body of believers um, what direction are we going are we are we really fulfilling our true purpose you know how how easy is it for us to or looking at myself how easy is it for me uh, lose focus of that you know that ultimately when I go back to the and I always keep this in the in the back of my mind you know my whole goal in life is love God and then love each other so I'm trying to you know to the best of my abilities live out what God's asked me to, to live out, you know, to be transformed, to be a, the salt and light to the earth. And in doing so, then, you know, one of my big calls is to provide that positive influence, let people see, you know, the change that God's made in my life, because ultimately what are we, we're called to bring as many people back to Christ to restore that relationship for them, right? Um, so again, I think that's you know one of the the other big things that elders do is they help guide the direction and keep you know keep us focused on our vision. Only is to get to God and bring another real important element in that uh, that hierarchy. You know, and the the way that uh, uh, Jesus ultimately uh, laid out leadership in the church. Um, there's also a recurring theme. Um, do you ever see description of one always, correct? And again, there's not a hard and fast rule that it has to be X, Y, Z, but it's always more than one. Why do you think that's important? Exactly. And then also, you know, we're, we start teetering back into, you know, some of these other organized religions in the world, um, you know, that ultimately fall under the authority of mine, um, you know, ultimately of one person. And that's not at all what what Jesus envisioned us. Um, what would be some of the dangers in having one elder in a congregation? Are we, is, and then going back and looking at the description of an elder, um, you know, that's a, a pretty lofty um, set of, of characteristics for you know a person to be able to to live by and I think you know we're also looking at that in generality most of the time that person's that way but are they perfect at it because oh, none of us are perfect right we all fall short so I think there's also as you mentioned there's a level of accountability when we have more elder um, you know when again we're all subject to falling short and sinning from the day that, you know, we are aware of sin, falling short of God's will until, I'm looking at myself, until the day that I die, guess guess what? I will be sinning from back then up until the, you know, I think we all, having multiple elders uh, in that regard, you know, they can help keep themselves in. Uh, 
Um, also think about what kind of different personalities do people have. You know, some people connect better with different personalities. Um, then we also look at you know, one person may be extremely gifted in several areas, but they're not good. And then also how, you know, how we leverage the body, um, you know, leveraging each other's And again, I, I use this time, you know, we're always trying to leverage our strengths. You know, so when you put somebody in a, an area where they're going to excel, you know, backfill areas at their weekend and you can become successful. I think that's exactly you know, we collectively, you know, if we're focusing on our mission, again, is to love God with all of our being and then bring others to him. Again, having having that plurality, again, me, um, another part of the reason why we need more than one. Has anybody else thought, I mean, thoughts that anybody else could think of of why we need most definitely, and I don't know, if, I mean, I've seen situations throughout my life where, you know, that has occurred in the, even in eldership and, you know, congregation I was at where you know, a couple of the elders had kind of lost sight of their call, and it was disastrous for that specific. Being able to keep yourselves in check, a um, huge part of, of uh, having that plurality. One other thought, um, over there real fast. First Peter, or I'm sorry, let's go to Acts 20. We've got a plurality of elders. Um, again, keeping each other in check, being able to leverage each other's, you know, abilities and strengths to most effectively uh, shepherd the congregation that you're at, um, being able to reach out, you know, and whatnot. But then also, there's another key component um, and not talking about the, the plurality but uh, you know the elders oversight is really only the specific location the specific congregation that they're a part of so um, Acts 20 verse 20 uh, be on guard for yourselves for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood and um, that's focused, you know, that's telling the elders, you know, they're only to provide that oversight guidance for uh, for that specific location, uh, congregation. Um, I'm not even going to attempt with the, the phonics here for the the different Greek words for elders used in the Newton. Uh, Josh, i got to figure out how how every... Uh, Every lesson I, I hone in on always has these Greek words. <laughs> That's right. So one of these, uh, which I think is, you know, presbyteros, um, I think that's been uh, translated. Again, that's that's the one that I, I we look at most frequently, uh, at elder or presbyter. Um, episkopos is another one that's been used. Uh, uh, translate, you know, in the, the original Greek translation, uh, and that again is a description of an overseer or, and then uh, pomain, um, that's a description of a shepherd or a pastor. That's found, both of those I think are found in uh, passage in Acts chapter 20. Uh, I got the wrong, I put the wrong verse. It's actually verse 17 instead of there. Verse 17 and verse 28. 
and then also a passage in 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. And again, that one, I think, captures all three of them. Uh, it says the, the elders of Presbyterus, uh, who are among you, I exhort shepherd the flock of God which is among you. So then that passes where, uh, um, you know, we see all three of those word, Greek words being used. I think that's also one of the challenges with the English. Think about how many different ways there are to describe love, but in the English language, and even the Greek also, um, multiple ways to uh, to describe the same uh, same person, same role. Again, here also with uh, the English translation, I think that kind of waters down and maybe even confuses us a little bit, or it does me at least, uh, you know, what the role of an elder actually, you know, the, the one here I keep seeing is pastor. I mean, when you hear the word pastor, what, what automatically comes to mind? Preacher or minister, right? You know, I think, again, that's, I don't, I don't have the, the means to accurately describe it, but again, in my, in my interpretation, you know, I think that's, that's part of where we've got the English Bible. Uh, maybe there's been some confusion over time as, you know, as far as what that word, or really, to me, misapplied. I guess, you know, when you hear pastor, you don't think. Um, but ultimately, when you go back again to the Greek translation, that word was describing and overseeing the flock. Um, so I think that's something we've got to, got to always keep in mind as well. Any thoughts? I'm sorry. And ultimately, when you look at Jesus, what kind of he led by serving? And I think, again, that's what... We've got to expect and, and really and out of our overseers is servant leadership. But ultimately, when, we, when we're serving each other, when we're leading, we're doing it by by serving. Um, one of the real, to me, the, the key elements uh, for an elder and shows the normity of what kind of role they take on, Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Obey your, your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So they can do this with joy and not with grief for what would be unprofitable for you. So when you think about, you know, again, church, anybody's in a leadership role, you're subject to, you know, gripes, complaints, whatever you do, somebody's not going to like. When you think about the pressure that's applied to the position in our work, yeah, that's stressful. At the end of the day, I don't have people's souls hanging over my, you know, that always gives me pause when I think about, when I question or, or don't agree with maybe a decision, think about, you know, how many people we got, you know, like last week we had 340, they're responsible for that. So the decisions they make, you know, good or bad, you know, they're going to be held accountable for that. And, you know, that's also, you know, we see subscriptions within the Bible for those that phrase that affected uh, or exactly but you know that's the general thought there and again that's we really got to think about complain or whatnot think about you know the fact that they're they've taken on a pretty heavy lift got to be you know patient be uh, understanding and knowing that you know hey we may not necessarily like the decision because our uh, desires or whatnot but they're trying their best to make decisions that are us as individuals, but for this body. 
Any other thoughts or comments before? Should. All right. Yeah, and then again, this is a, I've spent a lot more time right here, but uh, than probably time really allows. But I think, you know, again, that's a, in my mind, you know, our church leaders, I think, dictate whether or not we're successful in our, our walk. Um, I feel very fortunate here, you know, the, the folks that we've got that are, are, are overseeing us. When we came here about a year and a half ago, that was one of the reasons, we, you know, this is, in my mind, this is home because uh, I, you know, feel confident in, in, you know, their oversight and the decisions that they make. Um, we're here. Um, thinking about each local church, each congregation, you know, again, we have to remember that we are autonomous, subject ultimately, though, to Christ's rule. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 4.17, it says, He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach every, everywhere in every church. Um, I have to remember that, again, the church is autonomous in that they can manage their own affairs. Uh, they're not subject to another man-made council or organization. And, again, no person or authority outside or above the local congregation um, you know, makes the decisions. Ultimately, it's going to be Christ, right? So, um, kind of think about again when we look at the Christian uh, religion as a whole. Uh, you know, can I'm diving into, I guess, some denominationalism here. But you know, when you when you look at how many different organizational structures there are in and what, you know, evangelical Christians or whatnot. Um, you know, you see a lot of a lot of uh, those groups that don't necessarily um, follow that pattern. But again, I guess I go back to what pattern do we have in the New Testament? Local autonomous groups living out to the best of their abilities, the call they've been given, you know, then responding to the gospel, and then trying to bring as many people uh, to Christ as they can. Uh, one of the ways, though, that you know we see interaction and cooperation, uh, congregations grouping together, um, evangelism, you know, edification and benevolence. Think about you know when there's a major weather event or major disaster in in uh, in areas what what happens you know immediately in the aftermath folks that aren't affected you see groups of churches banding together to try to try to get aid to those that are are in most need um, think about uh, what's going to be coming up here in April uh, seminar coming up we had many groups of of uh, Folks, last year at our, our Quip seminar, we're going to have more this year. We sent out mailers to is it over a thousand different churches, I think. Am I right in that? Thousand and six. So again, we're trying to band together, you know, to to edify each other, to build each other up, you know. But we're not necessarily making decisions for other groups, and they're not making decisions for us. Uh, but that is some of the ways that, you know, we can uh, get together and, and uh, be effective. Again, also evangelism, you know, thinking about when we bring in 
guest speakers or, uh, you know, Hiram mentioned this morning, you know, he's going to be heading down for a, a seminar in Florida. Um, timing may be, you know, he's escaping the cold, but, uh, you know, filling a, an important work there uh, in that, you know, he's helping to edify and evangelize at different locations. So that's some of the ways, again, that congregations can cooperate, but again, ultimately and finally, you know, the oversight and the decisions are made at the local group. Um, we'll see if I can get finished here. So each local uh, church or congregation is also to establish servants, uh, what we call deacons. And of course, you know, we're all servants, uh, but, you know, the church is established and, and patterned in a way that we are, you know, we've asked to uh, have folks with specific duties um, to carry out, you know, the earthly needs of the church. And let's read that real fast. Acts chapter 6. Of course, that's when we see um, the apostles designating that that uh, that type of servant as a deacon, even though it's not actually mentioned in the passage. But Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, In those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can adopt to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching. The proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procorus, uh, Nicanor, uh, Timon, Permenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Uh, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the preaching about God flourished. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So again, here we see... Um, you know, that specific need being met. So is it beneficial or effective if our our elders or overseers are constantly worrying about daily needs of the body? If they're worried, if their ultimate responsibility is caring for the flock and the spiritual needs of the body, if they're caring for daily needs, physical needs, they're being pulled away from their, I'm sorry for that, um, they're being pulled away from their, their true calling, right? So, again, that's showing us why we need, you know, servants in a different role uh, to be able to administer to the physical needs of the body. So, any thoughts on that one before we... Uh, I'm sorry. And then, and then, again, we've got several deacons in, in the assembly right now, but, you know, you guys are, are tasked with specific different areas based on, you know, either um, your abilities or, you know, wherever you are in your walk with in life at the moment. And when a need arises, not bogging the, the elders or overseers down in those physical elements, that, that's when you're tasked with, uh, with fulfilling the physical needs. Uh, the last one is when we're looking at the organization. Of course, each, each church needs an evangelist or evangelist to preach the gospel. 
And again, same thing, while all Christians are called to preach to the lost, you know, we still need people who are gifted in that regard, right? Um, you know, we need people who can, uh, you know, proclaim Christ's message, as, as is mentioned in 1 Timothy 2, 7, able to spread the good news of Christ, 2 Timothy 4, 5, preach the word, proclaim the message, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 2. You know, we, I look at, you know, Neil and Hiram and, and their abilities. Um, if you ask me to try to do that on a daily basis, I would fail miserably. You know, that's not where I'm gifted. Um, you know, this right here is a stretch for me, to be honest. You know, trying to come up with a with a uh, outline and, and create cohesive thoughts. But, you know, they are extremely gifted in that regard. And, to, you know, think about how, you know, they've committed the Bible to memory and how regardless of whatever topic is coming up, you know, that quick recall of, of passages that are specific and applicable to that uh that whatever topic has, has come up. So again, I, you know, having that ability, um, you know, is, is again another vital element to uh, to the church and being able to to func- for us to function effectively. You know, we need folks that can can effectively reach out, um, not have this monotone voice like I've got. You know, being able to uh, keep folks engaged, bring that message and and bring you know present it in a way that it actually does, you know, like as the Bible say, pricks our heart. It ultimately leads us to repentance. Um, make sure that, you know, when we are failing in a regard, you know, the message is received and, and we, you know, grow from that, repent from, from whatever we're failing at. But then ultimately, you know, also with, with folks that haven't received the word before, uh, being able to present it in a way that it's, you know, is able that they can absorb it, they can can hear it, understand it, and then uh, hopefully ultimately respons- respond uh, in that regard. So finally, kind of just wrapping all this up, conclusion, no, I, know, I know I uh, devote a lot more time in one area than, than the others, but we have to still remember Christ is the head of the church, uh, both from a universal standpoint, but then also um, looking at the uh, the individual location, the individual congregation. Uh, Jesus did set up, you know, an organizational structure for us, um, and we've got the Bible as the authority that shows us the example that we to uh, to organize, organize, organize. If I can get that out, organize uh, leadership within the church. Uh, big thing: there is no scriptural authority for modern forms of church government. Outside, again, the pattern of having multiple elders um, serving each local congregation. Um, And finally, the New Testament church is to be organized according to the pattern that we find in the New Testament. So any deviation from that pattern, um, at the end of the day, creates a a man-made organization. I flew through the the last part of that. Has anybody else got any thoughts or comments before well, again, I appreciate everyone's time and uh, and thoughts. Uh, next week, our topic is the mission and work of the church. So just kind of think about that. The mission and work of the church will be our topic for next week. Thank you all for your uh, participation and attendance. <laughs>